The wisest man who ever lived once said, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Every Christian should long to be known for his quality of work. Excellence is central to our witness, the visible representation of the invisible triune God at work within us. We serve order incarnate, the master sculptor, painter, poet, the beautiful and the excellent. Aristotle says in the opening lines of metaphysics, all men desire to know. You are programmed to seek, to study, to become a rich storehouse of knowledge. A skilled man is a walking cheat code connected to the unseen realm by a lifetime of devotion to studying his corner of God's reality. Christian filmmakers should long to be skillful men, sages who, with a single word, can fix a broken story, dysfunctional set, inhuman performance, or editing timeline. Desiring mastery is a good thing. Like true children, we want to imitate our Father, the Master, through a lifetime of study. Out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, we seek to add to God's glory. As he serves us, we serve him and those around us. And starting this filmic journey isn't for the faint of heart. For any craft, it takes a lifetime. For filmmaking, you could spend multiple lives learning just one aspect. Writing, directing, shooting, editing, and on and on and on. Only in the footsteps of the second Adam can we follow this trajectory without ego or pride. Only by his blood can we grow in wisdom and articulation, knowing and sharing for the true betterment of our craft and consumer. How are you increasing in your filmmaking mastery? Is your study and work taking you closer to the door of kings or obscure men? You're listening to God Deserves Better, a program dedicated to equipping the saints to create like our creator. And welcome to God Deserves Better. I am your host, Zach Lovelace. And I'm your host, Jonathan Laura. And we are Christian filmmakers who see today's Christian films as severely lacking. From pre-production to post, it's evident that those behind these movies lack the basic respect for the craft that they claim to love. And if you see this problem too, you're a Christian, you're a filmmaker, then these next three episodes are especially for you. Now, everybody's filmmaking journey is different. Some people start out as a PA, some people edit, some people act, but most, if not all, forge a reputation and a career on the backs of short films. Now, this might be a little pedantic, but I think it's important for these next three episodes where we cover pre-production, production, and post-production to serve as rudimentary guides for those who might not know a whole lot about filmmaking, but want to create excellently. And to do so, we need to provide some basic definitions. So, Johnny, can you give us yeah. a basic definition of what a short film is? A uh, short film is any film shorter than 40 minutes in length. That's the technical definition. Mm -hmm. So anything 40 minutes or less, basically. And that's not us saying that either. That's the Oscars, the Academy of Motion Pictures, yeah. Arts and Sciences that say that. That anything 40 minutes and below. Which is interesting to note that a feature film is anything 41 minutes. I guess, yeah. And up. <laughs> Never watched a 39 minute short film, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. that's way too long. <laughs> and that's actually, if you tell me that's a short film, I'm not going to watch it. I'm no, like, no, this no. isn't short, you know. But. And part of our mission for GDB is to equip the saints to create like our creator. And this episode is specifically dedicated to people who have maybe been on a short film set, even a feature film set. Obviously, they love film, they want to make one, but they've never done it. So, we're talking to people who are, are real green in this area 
Oh yeah, for sure. And you start off with anything, you start off smaller, work your way up. It's easier to write a sentence than it is to write a book. Yeah. So that's in the same way, writing one sentence, one really, really good sentence, you're going to be very resourceful. Every word is going to, every letter is going to matter a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. In film school, when I was going, you start with a short film. You make mm -hmm. your, your short films, uh, projects there. They don't task you out with making a feature film, depending on the school, I guess. Uh, the school I went to, you made your short films. Mm -hmm. And so it's a learning process yes. making a short film. Yeah. And I think it's actually good for, even if you've made a feature, let's say some veteran filmmaker has stumbled on this podcast and they're listening to go back to shorts yeah, and think about things because it, they are so different. They're very similar in ways that really matter, but they, they're different enough as well. You can get away with so much more. You can subvert expectations more in a short because there really aren't any expectations. Most people aren't encountering a short film. Yeah. Most consumers, most audience members, unless you're talking like before a Pixar movie. I guess. Yeah. That, yeah. I was going to say that these aren't like theatrically released typically, so they don't make as much money. It is more of a learning tool. Yeah, it is. Now, from your film school, what was the average length that you ran into? I would say maximum 10 minutes yeah. is probably what a lot of them were. Um, first time, I would say less than 10 minutes. I would say five five minutes okay yeah at campus movie fest where i was a, a tour manager and, and a participant that's that was the maximum and for those who don't know it's the world's largest student film festival is campus movie fest they come to your school they give you a week to make a movie it's got to be no more than five minutes long we disqualified films for being five minutes and one frame really yeah oh my gosh yeah because that's the cardinal rule <laughs> Is you have five minutes. It's one frame. It's one frame. You just, just let it slide. If I let that one frame slide. Just cut it off. Just cut it off. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. That one frame really mattered. <laughs> no, that means they got one more frame than everyone else. Wow. You guys are sticklers. Yeah. And you'd be so surprised what, what how much story can fit in five minutes. Mm -hmm. Like how much real estate that actually is for a story. Yeah. The Campus Movie Fest days taught me a lot about short films because I was I was watching a lot of people make their first movie. And that's where I made my first movie. Uh, or, well, technically, I, I didn't actually direct those movies. I just wrote them and starred in them, produced them, whatever. Uh, so my first movie wasn't until Nightbird, yeah, 2017. So And how long was that one? So what the first cut was 18 minutes. Wow. And then uh, my producer and I met with a screenwriter who saw it, liked it, and wanted to help shop it around with us. And he helped us cut four more minutes out of it. And I don't even know where those four minutes went. Wow. And then that actually was based on uh, the, that screenwriter fellow helping us tr get into other festivals. He was saying festival programmers wouldn't take anything over 20 minutes. Because you have to think for a person who's basically in charge of picking up short films to fill an hour long block, he either gets to pick up five 20 minute short films mm -hmm. or if you have, you know, 25 minute short films. Yeah. He makes more money that way. That makes sense keeping it as short and as brief as possible. Plus that, that, that runtime is earned. Runtime is 100% earned. Hmm. Who are you that you're going to hold my attention? I mean, most directors veer into really, really long, I would say probably too long. Oh yeah. Uh, we're talking about going to see Killers of the Flower Moon oh, boy. and I'm like budgeting the time in my yeah. mind. Do I have three hours <laughs> and 20 minutes? If we leave at 8.30 PM, <laughs> yeah. be getting home tomorrow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm automatically getting, yeah. you know, six hours of sleep. Uh, but most veteran filmmakers that you do earn that over yeah. time. Um, yeah. I mean, like think of the MCU, their last film was like over three hours, I think the end game. Oh yeah. Something like that. That had, that was like 
took 10 years to earn that, more than 10 years to earn that runtime, basically. Very, and they even left a lot out. Yeah. Like, they cut a lot. They probably could have cut a lot out of Endgame. Well, totally. For sure. Again, like, people sat in through the whole thing because it was earned. Yes. So. Talking about movies that act like TV shows. Oh, yeah. You you have to have seen Captain Marvel or you don't, you won't get Endgame. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the Captain first one made a, a billion dollars, man. Yeah, it's because it was literally in between Infinity War and Endgame. That's true, yeah. I guess that, that People were just me. like, oh, man, maybe there's something in here that'll help me understand it. I actually did not want to see it. But my wife, we had just started dating at the time. Oh. She's like, oh, Johnny really likes the Marvel movies. Let's go see. Like, she surprised me with a ticket to go see Captain Marvel. Oh. And I was kind of like, oh, What thanks. a surprise. <laughs> you still married her? <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. I'm so picky with movies now. Like, you know, oh, yeah. or, I'm, I'll speak on behalf of my wife. But she's like, let's just throw any Netflix movie on or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, no, well, that's like going to be 90 minutes of my time. Well, that's, that's throwing something on in the background is one thing. Going to the movie theater is something yeah. else. Like I have to get a babysitter. I'm even the same way with just sitting at home and watching a movie. I'm like, I could do something else for 90 minutes than watch a movie that is boring or oh yeah, not good. I, I can guess. sleep for 90 minutes. I, <laughs> yeah, I would rather. With kids, you those 90 minutes go a long way. Yeah. I, 90 I, minutes of sleep. First Reformed. You remember that movie? I remember I didn't see it. I wanted to see it, but I actually remember I, we had just started working together and I said like, I think I want to go see this. And you said, don't. So I didn't. Wow. You listened to me. Yeah. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. Like, Kate, oh, well. Kate walked out. Wow. Okay. Kate walked out. It's like the last 10 minutes of the movie or whatever. Oh, she walked out right but, before the ending. Yeah. It's extremely violent and gruesome and it, it's definitely got like yeah. sacrilegious imagery and yeah. you walk out of the movie theater just completely defeated. Cause you're like, man, <laughs> my wife, uh, she was crying too. Wow! Like she's like, I'll I'll meet you in the car. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. um, this is a kind of tool belt episode. Uh, we're gonna do three episodes of this for different phases of production, uh, but we're gonna talk you through basically how to make a short film, and you can learn and profit from our failures. Is something that we say all the time here, uh, and I hope that this serves as a way for you to grow and then make a better short film than we did. Yes. Uh, and yeah boy have we made failures yeah oh yeah and but that's actually that's part of the fun too that's what short films it's like because there are less eyes on them because they there's nobody clamoring to see them except for other filmmakers you can wow people with them of course like normies you know the standard is low yeah to impress people with totally Uh, so you get a lot of grace from the audience for a feature film they're paying top dollar they're taking time out of their day to leave their house. Mm-hmm. Like you said, get someone to babysit the kids. Yep. This better be worth it. And so, like I said, it's wise to make something shorter if you want to make something longer. Yeah. So if you want to make TV, you want to make feature films, if you want to make music videos or what, what have you, starting with a short film is the way to go. But something else about working at Campus Movie Fest, people kept bringing up the Daniels. I don't know if you know who they are. Uh, so it's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. So they made Everything Everywhere. Yeah, once, okay, yeah. Uh, which just won Best Picture. Yeah. But they made like Swiss Army Man and a couple of other movies, music videos as well. And Did they start in? Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah, Daniel Kwan, if you go to his IMDb, his first movie is a Campus Movie Fest movie. Wow. Uh, and so it's it's called Balance. And I watched it the other day. It's like two and a half minutes long. It's animation. It's like bad animation too, like PowerPoint kind of thing. Okay. Because uh, it's like 13 years old at this point. What was the premise? Um, it's, it's similar to Swiss army man and a couple of other things they've made where it's just kind of looking at the absurdity of the universe a little bit and people's place in the universe, like Mm -hmm. being a human amongst 
this the giant size of the universe. Mm. Um, that at least that's generally how I can best sum it yeah, up. Yeah, they have it based on everything everywhere all at once. They have a very nihilistic view yes. of the world. So. Yes. Again, it's spit funny. out the bones. It's but, funny. Yeah. I couldn't get past it, I, I, you know, with that. Like, Films with a bad worldview and a bad message, it's almost like an instant turnoff. Oh, I agree. I, I really enjoyed Swiss Army Man. Okay. When I haven't seen out. Swiss Army Man. So maybe. It's very similar just in terms of what it's trying to capture and their point of view in the world, but it is childlike a little bit as well, and, and it captures a lot of that. There's a lot of farts in it, and that's <laughs> that's right up Zach's alley. alley, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, that, yeah, that idea that 13 years from you making your first movie, which can be mostly stock, and really it's about the writing and the narration, yes. that 13 years later those guys are winning the ultimate award. Best director and best picture. Yeah. And that's amazing to me Yeah, that Campus Movie Fest, that's part of the legacy. I don't know why they don't lead with that more. I'm not affiliated <laughs> with them anymore, but I'll check them out every once in a while. I'm on a few newsletters with them. And it's like after they won Best Picture, that wasn't a part of any of their messaging. It's like I'd be riding that every day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, posting those films on the front page or whatever. But Was films... that film good? <laughs> their first No. One? That's no. probably why then. And, like, it yeah, sucked. that's fair. <laughs> and, I mean, maybe that's part of what they need to own is like we basically – Campus Movie Fest is just a repository of really bad films. But that's what that's what your first film is. It's supposed yeah. to be bad. But that's a good thing. That means you're growing. Yeah. So okay. starting from pre-production, let's dive into your crew, your film crew. Not a, not a complete list, but the list that you're most likely to run into on any of your first films. Somewhat obvious. Somebody has to write the film, assuming that there's, even if there's no dialogue, you have to write the actions for the actors. You have to understand what's happening. And even if... You're the actor in it. You have to have some list of what you're going to do before you turn the camera on. You can improv the whole thing, and that's it's doable. Doable, uh, and I've done that before. Yeah. Uh, it's fun, but oh, yeah. you are still acting as the writer. There, you have to build off of some structure, exactly, some and foundation, because it's the thing that everyone is reading and interpreting for themselves. So the DP is reading it, and they're saying, "Okay, so we need these types of things." To, to create this vision. Yeah. The director is looking at it, obviously, and deciding a lot of that as well. This is the very essence of your movie. This is what it can be reduced down to, is the yes. story. Tarantino is the one that's like, the script is is scripture. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, we yeah. don't go off script ever. Yeah. And then there are other people who say that the script is really just more of a guideline. Yeah. Like you start off, and I've been a part of projects that have done both. When I am writing my own things, though, I'm usually more on the scripture side than I am on, okay. on the suggestion. The script is as suggestion. Some of our comedic shorts will do like a, we'll go the curb your enthusiasm route. And yeah. Like we have a structure and yeah. just riff. We have a character, you know who yeah. you are. Yeah. I know who I am. And we kind of, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. More comedic things. And I, I find that to be true. I was on a, a feature film set for, for a comedy and they did that a lot. Okay. Uh, Seth Rogen was in it and they would just riff and they would do it several times. Yeah. Uh, so the script as the writer that is going to be the the foundation, like you said. So typically, if, it's, if you're going to be making your own short film, you're probably going to be the writer. I would look into courses on writing. I would look into software like Final Draft or uh, Keltex or Writer's Duet and uh, read a screenplay. Yeah. Uh, before other before you write something, read a screenplay. Yeah. Uh, because that's what's so great about the screenplay format is that it's designed to be shared. Mm -hmm. It's super readable. You're not using huge blocks of text. You know, you're not being overly descriptive because it, that you can't do that. It's not a novel. Yeah. It's meant to eventually be a picture on a screen. So sitting here writing, the dusty book flew across the whatever blue sky and it's like, sure, 
that's something that you could do in a storyboard uh, and not in the screenplay format. But yeah. And to piggyback off of that saying like you are probably going to be your your writer for your first film. Mm-hmm. You will also probably be the director. You might be able to get if you're making a film in tandem with someone. Well, what is a um, director? Sure. The director, basically, it's the one responsible for taking what was written on the script and making it uh, visual. Mm -hmm. So the only person who has the vision is you. And so for your first film, it's probably best for you to also direct. I would recommend. Um, So directors, they will work with the actors, cinematographer, and just other departments to make this all work. The decision maker. Yes. They are the decision maker. They're steering the ship. They're the executive part of the brain in terms of the story. Like, oh, what color do these costumes need to be? What type of music should go in this scene? Those types of decisions. They're all... Creative decision-making. Creative decision-making. He's trying to bring to life your vision for the script. That might even be truer than what you wrote. Yeah. A lot of times directors, they have this big persona. They'll end up infusing themselves into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like in a lot of feature films like Christopher Nolan, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, big names like that. And uh, every film has their little, their twist on it. Yeah. Their their auteurs. The texture... Yeah. of their fingerprints, the things they care about. Five different directors could take one scene mm-hmm. from the script and direct it entirely different and what they yes. choose to focus on. That's something that I think David Fincher says. It's like, as the director, you are in charge of distributing information and the flow of that information. Mm-hmm. And so I'm putting a close-up on their fingers touching when they're handing each other business cards. Mm. That's not written into the script. It could be, but let's say it isn't. But yeah. he chooses to focus on that. To communicate, to communicate something. whatever else, yeah. Yeah, whatever theme he's kind of, kind of, yeah, pulling out from your writing. I think there's a, a quote from uh, the French director Robert Bresson, which is that a film is made three times: hmm. when it's written, when it's directed, and when it's edited. So each, very true. Each of those people is in charge of bringing a vision, a version of that to life. I think in tandem to what you're saying about the director, that I think most people don't realize is that there's usually an assistant director. Yeah, which on your first short film, you're probably not likely to have. No, probably not. You have a small enough crew. You probably don't need it. Yeah, it'll probably... Larger crew, bigger film. They support the director for um, various administrative tasks. Yeah. They create the shooting schedule, you know. um, Yeah. Manage the set. But again, your first short film specifically, you might not have one. If you have the luxury of having one, that's great. Yeah, if you have some story that's big enough where you need to have background actors or whatever, uh, and you're on like a really tight schedule that you yourself can't have that on your mind... Mm-hmm. when you're directing then yeah um so you'll want one we got the writer we got the director how is this thing actually going to get made that's a producer okay would be the one who actually is in charge of the logistical side of things so these three roles that we're talking about are you wear a lot of hats yes that is what <laughs> people say all the time in in indie and no budget filmmaking is the less of a budget the more hats you're wearing yes and if it's your first short film and nobody's going to come out to help you you're going to be the writer director and producer so the writer obviously has written the script the director is in charge of the story aspects like oh casting i want this actor he's good for this role and then the producer is the one who says hey we're going to go to this location yes uh we're going to location scout which the director is a part of that as well but uh they're more in charge again of the logistical side of things yes so hiring people like if you needed to actually pay people yet dealing with the budget they might even be uh, providing the budget um, yeah, that might be more of an executive producer. I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's well, those are like, there's all sorts of different types of producers, but just yeah. generally, uh, somebody on set to help the flow. I'll say I was on a Domino's pizza commercial, and I was a PA, so I was underneath the producer. Okay, and 
they needed me to go off and, and go grab a package that it was a, a Coke bottle that had been created specifically for a commercial. That was a certain type of glass that was like non-reflective. Okay. And they had had it custom made, but they had forgotten to pick it up. And so they'd sent me to go do it. So yeah. that type of thing, like the producer would be the in charge of that. Uh, obviously I was an underling. I was a delegated version of that person. So the production assistant is kind of like his, his, uh, his hands and feet basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. An extension of the producer making it happen. Well, there's, there are producers assistants and then there are production assistants that gets into all sorts of. Okay. Further unionized yeah. things you will not need to know for your short film. But down the line, it will unpack and get bigger and you will be familiar because you have been in these people's shoes. So any logistical decision you're making to help this vision come to life, that's the producer. Yeah. And I would say these first three roles, like you were saying, this is probably all three of these are probably going to be you as the mm -hmm. maker of your first film. Yes. The first role that I would say that I would recommend not being you and I'll let you unpack this yeah. as the cinematographer. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, this person is really focused in on the visual elements of the film. Mm -hmm. So they're reading the script with the writer and the director they're going through to achieve the desired look of how this film is going to be. That's going through like lighting, what's the like the color grade going to be. They might also work with the editor in that regard. Yeah. That could also be camera angles as well. Yeah. You communicate with different elements with lighting, camera, color yeah. grade, um, anything like that. For my first short film that I was a part of, uh, A Boy and His Bike Through Campus Movie Fest, my friend was the DP yeah. and the director. So that was just how we split it up. But you will probably find somebody who will do the lighting as well as run the camera. So because there's the camera department, who's, yeah. the DP is the, the head of it, the director yes. of photography, the cinematographer. They also have gaffers and grips and, and whatnot oh, yeah. that help them. But this one person is probably going to be doing all of that. Yes, they'll be overseeing all of it. It's so like you mentioned the other roles uh, in this department. There's the uh, first AC or the assistant camera. Um, they're basically responsible for maintaining the camera equipment. They also ensure the camera is like in focus, swapping lenses, anything like that. I, I would say the hack here for the for the DP for the cinematographer is finding somebody that owns a camera. Yeah, a friend, someone who knows their camera as well. Yeah, just they didn't just buy it, but they and know it. They're usually how I've done short films is they're usually the gearhead. They're the person who knows people who knows people who have a camera and they can borrow things if you want to keep it really cheap or if they're renting things as well, you can, uh, I would rely on them. That's another thing. Like, again, we've been preaching this since episode one, but like the story is key. Your camera does yeah. not need to be like no. five figures no. at all. No, 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 no. It no. could be super cheap. You can, you can honestly rent cameras. Yes. You know, cameras should not be taking more than, I would say like five, 5% 5 of your budget. That's I either, agree. either you borrow it or rent it. Yeah, I wouldn't go any more than that. There's no reason yeah. you need a, a red camera no, no. or whatever uh, for your first short film. You just need to learn the basics of how the camera yeah. should be on set and be treated on set rather than having the best gear. It's actually something that I ran into a lot in, in giving when I worked for Campus Movie Fest. In giving gear out, we only had so many really good cameras, which I think were like GH5s. This was <laughs> at like the time, yeah. at the time, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we had like two or three of them and people would clamor for them. Mm. And those people would usually make the worst film. <laughs> or not make a film at all. Like they would just have the camera for a week and they were they they missed the deadline. Interesting. Because they they their priorities were out of whack. They were thinking that the camera would make the movie great. Yeah. And that's not true. When my buddy Clayton and I, we won at our school for Campus Movie Fest at, at GGC, the film we shot it on was the worst camera they gave out. I can't even remember. It was like a Panasonic X something. Oh. And it was, you know, a handheld with the flip out screen. Nice. <laughs> and we had a tripod, you know, 
that, yeah. that it didn't matter. Yeah. To that point, the one thing that we knew we wouldn't be able to pull off was good sound. Mm-hmm. So in your first short film, I would focus either on making a silent film. It just all is, is music yeah. uh, or it's all voiceover. There's no sound in the scene. We're not yeah. hearing any actual dialogue. Uh, because nothing pulls you out of a movie faster than bad sound. You know, you can have the best camera in the world, but I hear it's almost the the Nolan problem. Oh my gosh, yeah. Audio audio team gets they have the worst rap. Audio is good when I don't notice it. Yes, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. I, if I notice something is off, if I notice you messed up, that's the only time I'm going to notice you. It, yeah, exactly. Like otherwise, if I don't notice you, you've done an amazing job. The yeah. most I will notice is probably the music, which isn't even part of the audio, but they're like. It's mixing. They're mixing know. together, yeah. yeah. And I, I'd hate to be an audio guy only because, oh, my God, and I record all this stuff, and then I, I'm working for Christopher Nolan, and then he just <laughs> mixes my thing <laughs> into a whisper. Oh, boy. You know, and then, we, oh, can we get can we get Tom Tom Hardy back in here do do his voice over? <laughs> I don't know what Nolan. He sounds something. He's not Cosmic or anything, but he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not like a pirate or something. <laughs> I get a little Tom Hardy, eh? I get a bottle of water. I was born in darkness. Yeah, that that. Yeah, oh my gosh, like that voice. An overcorrection. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the the sound capture is extremely important. The most you're probably going to do, I would say, also, uh, this is another role that you would not want to occupy if you're writing, directing, yes. and producing. That you want somebody who's just on the mixer. So they have a boom mic. Presumably they own one, and these guys exist, and even somebody who's into music could probably pull this off. Oh, yeah. But lavalier mics, boom mic, and then into the mixer or straight into the camera. Yeah. And again, you need someone solely focused on this because if you mess up, it's going to take people out. Yes. And, uh, I mean, if you mess up, it's not the end of the world either. You, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but you can ADR it. You know, you can record. If you can get that actor again. And Eleven Labs, the the new Mm -hmm. AI... Uh, if you're doing the voiceover, that's actually super helpful. Um, that's true. I just used it recently for a project. Nice. Uh, I was so, I was like, wow, I can't believe this is just like, you know, out there. Wow. It feels fake, you know, <laughs> how well it worked. That's funny. So yeah, you're going to want to invest if you have any money or invest the time into finding somebody who will do really good sound work for you. Yes. These are just the basic roles. Again, a very simple list that you are most likely to occupy or need on a short film. So you as the writer-director, you will probably handle the SD card afterwards. Sure. You, I mean, you should anyway. You should have a hard drive on set, be ingesting. If you lose your footage, then you have no film. So Yeah. And you exactly. don't want to get people to take time out of their schedule again to refilm it because yeah. that's not a given. People are probably doing you a favor on your first film. Exactly. Taking time out of their day because I don't know what your budget looks like. It's probably not great. Yeah, and, and as a Christian hospitality should be the thing you lead with. Yeah. I should be thinking about the worst possible scenarios and working my way backwards from there to make it as comfortable as possible because I'm paying them in pizza. Yeah. (laughs) You are probably going to just be feeding them, let's be honest. Uh, And there are some... Hey, I'll do a lot of things for pizza. (laughs) That's true. That's actually... (laughs) I'll do anything for some pizza. Uh, And on a film set, I mean, you were at the the wake and whim of the the stomachs of your cast and crew. Oh, yeah. And I've done everything from doing it myself... Yeah, buying granola bars and stickers and stuff like that. That keeps people happy, obviously. Pizza keeps people happy, but you can't... There is a limit to the length of day yeah. that you can have with those types of people. I would say keep it eight hours or under. Yeah, for sure. What I'm getting at is that, it, you know, being hospitable, provide for these people, mm-hmm. show that you care about them, 
Yeah. Um, Cause otherwise then they're not going to care about you. It's, it's yeah, like, I, you know, that's true. And I don't uh, care about this guy's vision. I'm hungry. You know, I got somewhere else to be. They'll be checked out. And yeah, that's the last thing you want. If you were trying to bring your, if you're trying to bring your vision to life. Excellently. And more than that, glorify God. Yeah, that's true. Well, and you glorify God in how you treat your technicians as well as the sto- the fabric of the story. I think we get in our end of the pool creatively, there are, there are some who jump over how you manage your people on set and in post and, and whatnot. That's not a part of glorifying God. Glorifying God, it means that the ends justifies the means, basically. Yeah. If I'm making a story that's about evangelizing, then it's it doesn't matter that I don't feed my crew or I push them an extra hour and don't pay them yeah. or something like that. These are obviously way beyond what your first short film will be. Yeah. But it's something to consider. If, if you can, if there is something biblical here, there's wisdom here that if you are diligent and a good steward, which is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that later on. Yeah. We're talking to the person who is making their first short film, probably the writer, director, producer, and is trying to find these, these other folks. Yeah. Uh, there are, Facebook groups, there are, I mean, if you're in school, there's film clubs, uh, there's, there's lots of folks oh, yeah. that will help you out. And actually, I mean, this is something to consider doing a, like a 48 hour film festival. Oh yeah. Even if you're not the one who's leading it the first time, you now are, are plugged in and, and know people in your area that are at least interested in doing that kind of thing Yeah. that you can then say, Hey, next year I want to do one. You do one. I've done it a couple of times now and um, it's fun. It's just. It's it's a tight turnaround, obviously. But explain what that is to the, to the yeah. Listener. So the forty eight hour film festival, they give you one weekend. So I think Friday evening you get a genre and like a certain prop and a line of dialogue. Yeah, a line of dialogue that you have to work in. So, but they have their own Facebook groups and stuff like that that you can you can get patched into uh, groups in your area and you can say what role you want to occupy. You'll team up with these folks. You'll make a movie in two days. It's it's due on that Sunday afternoon or something like that. So you'll pull an all nighter probably on, on a Saturday, depending on your role. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a ton of fun, but that's kind of a hack. I've done that before. And, and that's really what helped me get my uh, toes wet as well with some folks in my area. Mm-hmm. That is, I just helped them out on theirs. And then when I wanted to do one, they helped me out. So that, that is a good overview of some of the roles that you'll occupy or, interact with on your first short film. And there's other roles like editor, coloring, all that stuff. We'll get into that more in the post-production mm-hmm. uh, side of things. But all, all of this has been pre-production, just understanding who is involved in this process. Mm-hmm. But to get really specific, I, I want to open up with a quote here mm-hmm. uh, from director Alejandro Inarritu, who did Birdman, Babel, The Revenant, uh, that he says, for pre-production, I have a notebook and I know what decisions will be made in pre-production. Everything is predetermined in the pre-production period. I visually designed the whole thing and I know when things will happen. Hmm. That's what pre-production is about. It perfectly encompasses, he has it written down. He is the director, mm-hmm. which is going to be you on your first short film. He knows exactly what decisions need to be made and what needs to be communicated to whoever's involved. And he's visually designing it for pre-production before, you t- before a camera is even acquired mm-hmm. to shoot anything, to record anything. We are making those decisions, ideally. The world runs a lot smoother if it's predestined. Yes. Uh, so pre-production is Calvinistic. Yes. Uh, at its best, actually, I think this is a Hitchcock thing that he would beat everything out in storyboards so that when he went out on set, all he was ever doing was executing. So he has the like minimal viable product, basically. And so he only has his version of the movie. Yeah. It's kind of his way of getting director's cut at the end. A lot of these decisions that you're making in pre-production, if you were to make them during production... It would be way too stressful. You need time to marinate on making the right decision. That's so true. And especially 
when you're making a masterpiece, a piece of art that you want to make to the best of your abilities. These are the decisions that need time to make. And you can't and make them in a split second on set. You as a Christian as well, wanting to master something, you should want to be as thoughtful as possible mm -hmm. and being as detail-oriented as possible because you're going to be thinking hospitably about who's going to be involved. Yeah. That, okay, I have an actor. I Do I want to have them on set for another hour because yeah. I decided to do this one shot versus that? Yeah. Like, what does your story require? So now that we've covered the basic roles involved in making your first typical no-budget short film, we're going to put those roles into action by talking through a few of the major aspects of pre-production. We have scripting, budgeting, assembling crews, gear rental, casting, shot listing or storyboarding, both maybe, mm -hmm. uh, scheduling, location scouting, and legal type stuff. Yeah. So to kind of jump down that list, scripting, we mm -hmm. talked about the writer. This is probably going to be you. Study short films. And I would even say campusmoviefest.com. You can watch every short film they've ever, there's thousands of them on there. Go to random schools, random years and find them. And you get to see other people's first outings, what they thought would make a good movie. Mm -hmm. Because odds are your, your ideas that you're going to come up with a short film are probably going to already have been executed on by someone in the past. That was something I ran into all the time. People love time travel. People love suicide because of well, in, the, in the short film format yeah. anyway stories that have to do with those things because they see it as flashy or they, they see it as deep. as deep or serious yeah. so you you really want to acquaint yourself with other people have done it is the entry level deep topics that you want to avoid yes and i mean you can tackle them by all means uh but this gives you an idea of what other people have done and how it worked or how it didn't work so it just sure. helps you kind of triangulate a vision from that as the the writer you get to decide a lot of the logistics as well. Like yeah. I would shoot for one location, one or two maybe. I would shoot for one or two actors, no stunts, no explosions, yeah. no animation. No CGI needed. Yeah. No, none of that. You're you're probably going to have people talking in a room. So there are genres that are friendly to that type of thing, deciding that. Yeah. Having a clear idea of what genre you're going for too, I think is important. Yeah. If you want to do a horror film, go study horror films. Go study the tropes. What what makes a good horror film? What makes something suspenseful uh, visually? What is on screen? What is being communicated? What information is being dwelt on to be able to build suspense? Or what makes something funny? If you know that you're only going to have yourself as the actor, don't try and write yourself as an old man. <laughs> Saw that so many times oh, in Campus Movie Fest. You can't fake that. No, like an 18-year-old pretending to be a 40-year-old, you know, somebody's <laughs> parent or something. It's almost as bad as Robert De Niro in Irishman. Oh, an 80-year-old. <laughs> trying to be a 40-year-old. Yeah, trying to be a 40-year-old. <laughs> Looks like Polar Express. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, uh, the Irishman directed uh, by Robert Zemeckis. I would watch that. I probably would watch that, so too. bad it's But at least he's, he's actually telling you that it's animated, as yeah. opposed to Scorsese, who's like... like Beowulf or something. Like yeah, the stomping scene from the Irishman. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so... Robert De Niro beats up a, a a store clerk. And it looks like a 90-year-old man is beating him up. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> look believable at all. Takes you out of the film instantly. Instantly. If nothing it's else. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is very funny. <laughs> I recommend watching the scene, but th that's what you want to avoid. You, you don't want to break people's suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And that's what everything you're going to be doing as the writer, every decision you need to be thinking about is in service of the suspension of disbelief. Write a story about a kid 
or somebody who's your age or, or you know, if you, your brother is the actor that you have, like your dad, okay, don't try and get your dad to do a crying scene. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Or make him cry. I don't know. Or make your dad cry somehow. No, I actually <laughs> did that for, for my second Campus Movie Fest movie and I can't really watch it because of that. Like oh, he's, boy. it's just a narration. Uh, it depends on if your dad can actually act, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was pushing on. my dad hard. Yeah. I think I'm most people can't act. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, especially your dad who works a nine to five regular office job and being thrown into yeah, now an he acting role. You're, his his, <laughs> disappoint, his, area of his disappointment of a child is asking him to act. Oh, wait. <laughs> Time to disappoint him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tank your movie, kid. Yeah, I, I would say unless you, your family is interested, don't force them, obviously. Don't, yeah. don't. I mean, it could work. I mean, there's the Cohen brothers. They work together. You know, there's family members that. Well, that, I, yeah, I was thinking just in terms of acting. Um, oh, yeah, okay. But you could also make a short film that had no actors. You could do a short film about whatever. Just a narration. I've seen. B-roll. Yeah, narration, B-roll. I mean, that's like balance or whatever from from Daniel Kwan. Animation. Um, animation. You could do that if you're, you're like if you're really in animation. Yeah. I've seen short films that were like a GoPro from like a squirrel's perspective. Like it was supposed to be an animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you understand it from the, the context of like how it's moving and stuff. Uh, I think it was a one take too. That's interesting. That's kind of what made it you know, stand out. But yeah, exactly. Like I don't have any actors. Well, can I do this? Can I, can I actually convince someone that I'm a squirrel? Like the camera is the character. Yeah. I don't know what story you're going to tell. It could be small. I mean, it has to be small. Ice Age. Oh, yeah. yeah. Scrat. He's holding the other two continents. <laughs> when the ice split. Uh, anyway. A good story. That is a good story. That Wasn't that kind of like a Pixar short-esque? Like the trailer? It was from, I, I want to say it was uh, Blue Sky. Well, like the the trailer of it was a short film, right? Of him so. like with his nut mm-hmm. and he's like trying to bury it. And then it ended up being like the actual intro to the movie. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. I say just, yeah. I say just cool. Solid. Yeah. Solid. The, the humans don't look that great. The the baby the baby became a meme. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, the baby. Oof. So it, the the person you you first time filmmaker are wearing this the writer hat at the moment, but you also have to be thinking about being the director and the producer, because if you don't have a budget, again, you're mm-hmm. using your dad or somebody, a friend, a roommate as an actor. You realize like, okay, I, it has to be as close to my reality as possible, as yeah. close to zero dollars as possible. And so I can't and your resources. You. Yeah, exactly. Being as resourceful as possible. You have to be cutthroat. I will say if you do have a budget, like an actual sizable, I would say like low four figures, maybe even high three figures, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you have some sort of budget to work with, you should try your best to be a good steward with what God has given you. Yeah, of course. That doesn't necessarily mean to be a cheapskate with everything. No. It actually might mean like you have to spend more in a certain area, like yeah. taking care of your crew. Exactly. And I would say learn how to budget. And there are actually a lot of free budgeting spreadsheets for films mm-hmm. online. Templates, yeah. Templates sure. that you can get that have formulas you can plug in. You can see how much gets divided up. Yeah. That's if you want something that has, I would say, anything more than a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, you should be writing it down regardless, but, and, and like doing the math, but you should know ahead of time, like, hey, I want this costume, you know, for uh, Ballad of Keith Dickey, one of my short films. Well, I wanted a, a janitor uniform. Uh, I mean, that was about the stretch of my budget beyond paying my actor. <laughs> yeah. But knowing how much I want that for, knowing what I want it to be in relation to how much I want to pay my actor, I could easily spend my acting budget on a, a costume. Yeah. Just one costume. And then I don't have a actor to be in it. 
Yeah. You have to balance those two things to, again, serve the story, yes. to make to suspend disbelief, Yes, to make sure that this person looks like a janitor. Because mm-hmm. let's say you put it all into the, the uniform and not into the actor. Yeah. And it's, his performance isn't going to sell it. Totally. But yeah. let's say he's wearing like a polo or something, then it's like, oh, that's not really a janitor. But he yes. acted really well. So you have to work in tandem with all of your... Every yes. every resource you have has to work together I towards love, suspending disbelief. I love that. That's exactly right. That you as the director and the producer in one person have to have that understanding and always be asking yourself, does this serve the story? Does this serve a one, the people that are I'm asking to be a part of it as well? Am I treating them well? Am I Yeah. Again, if I'm asking you could get away with not feeding someone too but they better be related to you somehow Uh, (laughs) another good area i would actually say to look at is your church your local church people that you may know let's say you're you're friends with the guy who works the soundboard Mm -hmm. there's your audio guy he knows more than you do about yeah you can at least ask him about it at least ask him exactly or let's say one of the people who plays an instrument for worship have them you know write a score it doesn't have to be super complex it could be something simple I don't know, something like that. I love that little like, cheat code you got there. Oh, yeah. I love that. And we have that as Christians. We, we do. have our community. And a, a healthy church is going to have a good spread of generations, too. Oh, yeah. You're going to have young people. You're going to have old people. And I feel like most people would probably be flattered if you came up to them and said, hey, I wrote this thing. I'm trying to make a film. Yeah. The the ideal Venn diagram, I think, is finding people who are they're looking to get ahead just as much as you are. Yeah. So if you find people who are acting or want to get into acting through your school or, or whatever, different programs. Okay, I've only, I, I'm an actor, but I have one thing under my belt. That guy's probably going to be pretty hungry. Yeah. He's going to want to get in on something. He's willing to take a risk. He's willing to do something for free. Same with the, the sound guy. Even the sound guy at your church or the musician or whatever. Like that guy's probably, you'd be into it. Yeah. The reason I thought about that, asking your church, I remember in a VeggieTales behind the scenes video, I used to, I was obsessed with VeggieTales growing up and wanted to know how everything was made, all the computer animation and everything. Um, Phil Vischer, the creator, uh, was working with a a friend from college. His name was Mike Naraki. They are the people who created Big Idea Studios, which is the company that made VeggieTales. Um, He went to church, and he had an idea for a song that they wanted in an episode. And he goes up to a man named Kurt Heineke, Mm. who was, I guess, in charge of the soundboard or like one of the, like the lead musicians at his church. Whoa. And asked him, hey, I want to make my my little song sound like a big song. Yeah. And he helped. And he's like, I think he still works there at Big Idea. Like that's what he does now is make music for oh. Big Idea Studios. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, you have that as a Christian at your disposal. Not necessarily saying you have like some master musician at you, you know. Yeah, but you it might depends. have somebody. You might, but you could start somewhere. Absolutely. That actually gave me an idea that you could, as the writer, give your script to your pastor. Yeah. And they write a lot. They write a lot. And I think as well, they're going to help you theologically. Mm-hmm. Obviously the guy's taste is going to play into it. So, you know, if he doesn't like yeah. horror films and you're trying to make a horror film, where's the gospel presentation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, how does this apply? <laughs> Can you apply this? Uh, what Bible verse led you to this? Was this the message version that you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who well, you're going to show it to too. Mm-hmm. You can show it to your church. I would want to do that. Yeah. It depends if everyone in the congregation is of them, depending on the content of your film yeah. and on your congregation. As well. If you're making a more mature, mature film, you yeah. know, then obviously I'm not going to show it to the children. But yeah. if I'm making a kid's film, yeah. hey, can I show this to the kids? You know, um, do a movie night or something. That's yeah. you got your uh, test audience, right? Test there. audience right there. I'd go back to the lab, fix it up a little bit. You know? uh, so crew 
and casts, it's very similar. Like you said, you could get a sound person. You could potentially get an actor from your church, that kind of thing. Uh, you could also, there are uh, different services online that you can look into that oh, yeah. you can just find somebody. Um, I wouldn't recommend that because they're a little separated from your vision, obviously. Yeah, those people are, are pay to play. Yeah. They are, they're, they're, they're motivated by money. And yes, if you really need something, you know, if a DP or something like that, even just reaching out to them and saying like, hey, you know, do you know anyone that would be interested in, in this project? Like if they say no to you. Um, yeah. Do you know anyone who could work for my budget, basically? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like or what would, yeah, what could you do? That could also lead into a gear rental looking online. There's borrow lenses. Uh, ShareGrid is another one I can think of. Mm -hmm. And you I would could, say, yeah, look locally. Yeah. There's a there's an, a film studio right down the street from where we work. Mm -hmm. And we are constantly renting gear from them. We have a good connection with them. Super yeah. easy. I just shoot him a text or an email. Hey, can we borrow this? Yeah. Like, sure. Half the time, we don't even have to pay for it if you oh, have awesome. good, good rapport with them. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But with your first film, you'll probably be using share grid, borrow lenses. Mm -hmm. um, or just straight up knowing somebody. Or knowing someone, yeah. Kind of to that point, the microphone that you're on right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's from my church. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That you, if you just ask, you'd be surprised. Yeah. would just give you something. They had this microphone sitting on a shelf for like two years. No one was using it. Yeah. And now it's cutting this. Yeah. You never know. Ask. Yeah. I mean, the power of asking and the power of submitting yourself to as being like, I'm just trying to learn how to make a movie. Yeah. And this is my first film. I would love help. Yeah. That goes a long way. Uh, another thing with renting gear, I would say treat with extreme caution mm -hmm. with or extreme care might be a better word because this is not your equipment. Um, this is something that you've been trusted with. So again, you're reflecting Christ with every move you make. So yeah. make sure you are taking extreme care. Ask them about insurance also. Like yeah. if you pay like a little premium, might cover if any damages happen or anything like that. It's it's worth it, I would say, um, if they do offer that. I agree. Um, also respect their deadlines. So return it on time. Yeah. Maybe even early if you're able to. Just keep a good paper trail of the transaction. Agreed. That goes even further from even the share grid type formal rental places. If you're borrowing gear from somebody, mm -hmm. like this microphone that you're on came from your church. Yeah. You should take care of this microphone better than your own microphone, better than I'm taking care of mine right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, because this was bought with the church's money. So people tithed to bring this here. So that's like, yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. I should not take this lightly. Uh, and in the same way, we, we eat from Christ's hand. Yeah. Everything, literally everything, the air I breathe, the health I, I take for granted, yeah. you know, all of it. Uh, and so to be able to make something as frivolous as a film, I mean, as completely unnecessary to my actual life at the moment, gratitude goes such a long way. For sure. Um, so you've written your film, you're the director, you're the producer, you have found actors based on what you have written, whether it's yourself or people at your church or what have you. You now are looking to get your DP, mm -hmm. your cinematographer. You need a shot list. And a shot list is just simply every shot in order. Listed out. Listed out. So a close-up wide, close-up whatever. Shooting a master, which is the wide shot of the room. Uh, and then Short go description of the subject. The subject, yep. If there's any movement of yeah. the subject or of the camera. And then you work with your DP on how to bring that to life. Yeah. And the DP will know the limitations of your equipment as well. So they might be able to have a better understanding of what you can make with yes. the shot list. Um, storyboarding as well, I think, is important depending on 
the medium, of course, if, especially animation, I would say, oh, yeah. if you want to go in that direction. Um, there's good story-making software like um, Storyboarder or mm -hmm. Toon Boom as well. Um, I've heard of a um, After Effects plugin. I'm, I'm a big After Effects guy, so there's a Storyboard Maker plugin that works really well. Yeah, and nothing um, beats just Post-it notes and pen. That too, yeah. That you don't have to be a good drawer to make a storyboard either. <laughs> it's either. just as much as it's easy for me to just say something like it costs the least amount of money for me to just say something. It costs less money to draw on a piece of paper poorly to yeah. communicate an idea than it does to shoot something with a camera and a full crew and all that. Like you can build your entire movie in sequence, like comic book, and then you're just on set executing. Yeah, like Hitchcock said. Mm -hmm. It's also good for depending, like let's not say it's a short film. Let's say you're working for a client. This is really good for the people who have a tough time visualizing the end goal that you have in mind. Uh -huh. um, let's say you need to sell someone to get a budget approved, um, or like you have you're working for a client, you're making a film for some small business, making a storyboard. I would say even an animatic it would do even better, which is basically a video version of your storyboard. So you mm -hmm. get each image laid out. You'll definitely have the audio in there, the music, all of that. Mm -hmm. Just getting it one step closer. It to could be temp audio, terrible. This is the thing that I wish I knew as a short film first timer, shot listing and storyboarding, that there's so many times I got to the edit that I, I didn't get the coverage I needed. I wanted just one shot of a steaming cup of coffee that would have stitched together these sequences or what, what have you, whatever it might be, that you, if you can visualize your film as a series of pictures, it's so much easier to go out on the day of and get what you want. And you can work with your DP, like you said, to figure out how long each of these setups will take for the camera. Like yeah. you do your shot list, your ideal shot list, and he's like, this is 14 setups in mm -hmm. one day. Probably not possible unless, you know, it just like gear-wise works out. S super gorilla style. Yeah, I'm yeah, all handheld, you know, that kind of thing. But that's not really even... 14 is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to find something that would be hard to do. Yeah. But yeah, you would, you would budget, you know, I usually go for like a 30 minutes between setups yeah. if you're in one location. So that helps you keep your crew on time to just executing that you could say, okay, this is actually a three day shoot. If you wanted to do this, that's and even in only in one location, okay, maybe I need to scale it back and then you can go back to writing and you can cut things or you can find different ways to communicate that information. Yeah. You know, doing it all in one take. Yeah. It's harder obviously, but it is economic mm -hmm. in some ways, story-wise to do something that was Ballad of Keith Dickey. It's all in one take. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually really easy to execute day of we bought back a lot of time and we could just play after that. We just improv a little bit. And that was, that was cool. But show up day of knowing every minute is accounted for. And then if you get more, you can then do things that maybe day of show up as happy accidents or yeah. ideas that pop up and you have the time because you know what your minimal viable product is. It's this many shots over this much time. Oh, I've got an extra 30 minutes here. Oh, let's get them to run that scene one more time. And actually to that point of the one location, if you kind of want to break down location scouting mm -hmm. budget wisely when location scouting and also be selective make sure it works well with the story whatever location you're choosing make it believable you don't want to shoot in your backyard if you want to sell me like you're working in a city or something you know oh yeah. you want to make it believable work within your means and also a big one is be respectful to the location owners if you are working with a budget yeah that is key um, one tip that I always do when visiting a location and, w and on the day of production, um, I immediately take a photo on my phone of where we're shooting at, of what the location looks like. like let's say that one time we shot in a pizza restaurant, mm -hmm. took several shots of 
the area that we're going to be filming in. And that way, once we're done with production, because we move a lot of stuff out of the way, we oh, yeah. were to put our gear, set it up, whatever. At the end of the day, we make sure we put it back to how it was before we arrived. That shows that you care about the owner. Yeah, I love that. And actually kind of piggyback off of taking your phone out, getting your boots on the ground in the location during the time of day that you're going to be shooting. Because let's be honest, most of it's probably going to be daylight, not rented lights. That if you're going to, oh, I'm going to shoot there at 10 p.m., but you don't know what the light looks like at 10 p.m., yeah, uh, probably not a good idea. It is very good. Location scouting is huge. Make sure you know what the location looks like and the limitations you'll be working with before you arrive yes. on set. Your DP is probably going to want to go. You want to know where power is at, so you know what cables to bring if you need to stretch. If I got to bring some V-mount batteries. V-mount batteries. I was going to say battery life is is pretty much what you're running against. Yeah. But this is all stuff that you plan for. Yeah. You think of a disaster, which would be showing up day of, and my cameras aren't on. They can't turn on, or yeah. there's only one outlet, and it's outside at the street. Yeah, something stupid, you know, that how am I actually going to film? How are, how are my cameras going to stay on as long as I need them to stay on? It, whether it's charging it in your car. <laughs> I've seen people do that before. Uh, yeah. And it, it's not pretty. Yeah. And, and that, I, that's being a bad steward, obviously, for the location owner and for your crew to spend time doing something like that as opposed to executing yeah. day of is it's disrespectful. Yeah. And so and, and it's it's nerve wracking. It's all eyes are on you. How did yeah. you let this happen? How could you let this happen? Uh, that you're going to want to think about these things ahead of time. So power, traffic, sound. Is it near an airport? Is it near a train tracks? You know, every 10 minutes, is there going to be a train? That one time we were out in California and we were filming and those guys were doing uh, yard work. Yeah. Like remember that? A mower or something. And they, yeah. we went out there and they're like, can you stop? And like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, a studio that, uh, like, like I mentioned before, is right down the street from where we work. We filmed that a few times. There's train tracks right across the street from it. Mm -hmm. Every two hours or so, you you expect for it to drive by and you can hear it from inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to wait. Yeah. Really plan around that. Planning around the sound and the lighting of your and the, the power situation is so important, uh, as well as like real basic stuff like does it have a bathroom? Yeah. For your actors, like if you're if you're asking someone to come out, to spend a whole day, eight hours, whatever, filming, and I don't have a place to change, or yeah. like just go, just go change in your car, <laughs> <laughs> take off my pants in the car, in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, to, like to, you you want to be as respectful as possible. Like giving them of their course. own space would be great. Uh, and most actors on a short film, especially a first timer's short film, they're gonna be patient with you. But again, working with your family members, they're gonna be able to forgive you for a lot of yes. mistakes that you will make in your first film. Yes, or, or an actor who's equally as hungry yeah. and wants something for their reel. Of course, they're going to be like, yeah, I'll just suffer through it, which is fine. But we don't. We want better than that. Uh, yeah. God deserves sure. better than that in terms of you're a Christian making a film. Okay, I'm an actor who's hungry. I want to be there. But making them work for 14 hours is probably not Yeah, because you didn't charge the batteries. You know, is is not better. No, uh, not. That That is the... It's a very low bar to get over. And it just, that's what pre-production is all about, is imagining, use your imagination to think of the worst possible scenarios and work your way backward from there and communicating ahead of time and being the go-to person on set. You know where the bathrooms are at. You know where power is at. You know who the location owner is. You talk to them respectfully. Uh, you probably have a legal agreement with them as well. That's actually a whole other section here. Get it in writing that you want this, this, and this. Yeah. Uh, for this amount of money or, or what have you, I got into hot, hot water working with a diner on, on a short film I did. And we paid them a decent amount of money. 
to rent this diner for the whole night. And it wasn't like open 24 seven. It was a mom and pop type thing, but the guy showed up cause he had to be there to open up for us and everything. And he saw all of our cameras and he basically shook us down for an extra like 500 bucks. Wow. And he's like, oh, they must be working one over on me because we didn't get it in writing. Like it was just, hey, you know, that handshake style agreement, which is, is very common in Christian circles to be like, you're a good guy. You know, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm yeah. not going to. You never know who be, you're dealing with. Totally. You never know who you're dealing with. And at being a Christian, you shouldn't be afraid to get it in writing. Yeah. And just have it plainly spoken and, and be able to refer back to that. You're going into their houses. You're going to their homes. I, I filmed in, in a friend's apartment and my sound guy turned off the fridge. Hmm. Uh, and it forgot to turn it back on because it was humming, you know, yeah. so it was picking up on the mic and uh-huh. what ended up happening is all of their groceries were ruined and yeah. I paid for that. Yeah. And that same set it was a cursed movie. Cursed. <laughs> this is Nightbird, the Nightbird curse that I had my actress smoking a cigarette. You could watch the movie, uh, and she had her hand down on the couch and oh, let yeah. the, the cigarette, the fake cigarette, uh, burn into the couch. And so there's a little nylon hole. Uh, my, my crew was like, oh, you should just cover it up with a blanket. Don't tell them, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, no, these are my friends. They're going to find out. And so I told them day of, but it took, it gave a, a knot in my stomach. Cause then they, oh, I sure. put them out of their house for a day. Yeah. You we, ruined their groceries. Ruined their groceries. We burned nicked, a hole in their couch. Burned a hole in their couch and we nicked their cabinets with our, uh, like DIT cart or whatever. We brought yeah. it in, uh, and it took the paint off of the cabinet. And so those are the types of things I don't want you to experience. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a downside of working with friends and family. If you, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to work with family. They, you gotta be playful. You gotta find somebody who's willing to, to suffer for fun as opposed to these folks. I'd put them out. And, and the reason I put them out was because I did a last minute location change. Like my original location fell through. And so I, I just, to keep everybody else happy, my crew that I had already said, you know, scheduling wise, take this weekend that we're going to do it. I asked my friends and they gave me a solid, they, they let me wow. have their place and I put them up in an Airbnb, I think. Okay. Uh, so, but that said, I, you know, did damage to their house. Now I'm extra careful and oh dear first timer, I don't want you to have to learn the hard way. Just profit from that failure of mine and that $400 I spent on buying them a new couch. Oh, <laughs> not just a new cushion, a new couch. Cause it was one piece. Oh, it was one whole thing. Dude, so rough. yeah, that, that was rough and it, it did a number on our friendship too. Yeah, like it took some saying. real Christianly reconciliation afterwards. Yeah. How could you let this happen? And I was busy. I, w- I was being overstretched. And that's something to consider is that day of you're, you are wearing all these hats, you know, but the more you can think about it now when that pressure isn't on. And Nightbird, I would say is it's, it's not your first film. Um, you got to work your way up to something, the caliber of Nightbird. That's fair. I, so I would say again, start smaller. Like don't, don't spread yourself too thin. No, no. I would start with a canvas movie fest style. Yeah level movie five minutes or less i mean nightbird was pushing 20 minutes and we had multiple locations yeah something else that i learned from nightbird was the the climactic fight scene i split it between two days so we didn't have that energy going into the second day like we didn't have that like oh the the actors really understood where they were as characters in the scene yeah but we split it they come back in and it's dry it took longer to get into it that type of scheduling, that, that awareness of like how it's going to affect your actor that they've been working for eight hours a day, scheduling the, the climactic scene. How is that serving the suspension of disbelief? Are you going to get the best performance from them at the end of the day Yeah, when they've been on their feet for 12 hours or oh, no. maybe at the beginning of the day? So maybe you do the climactic scene at the beginning of the day. Like you can shoot it out of order. That's just stuff that I wish I had known because we got into tonal issues. 
where at the end of the day, the crew is like cracking up because they're trying to keep themselves entertained. And this was like the most serious scene in the movie. Mm. And the main actor came to me and was like, dude, you need to like have them stop. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we're, she's trying to get in this headspace, yeah. uh, this real serious headspace. And, and you guys, you're up here making fart jokes or whatever. Um, that being able to have the mind of my locations, my scheduling, it, all the goal is hospitality and it is my witness to my cast crew and whoever else has given me a favor, uh, given me grace that I should preemptively think about ways I can do that and make it as easy as possible for them. So, all right. So to kind of wrap this all up, what would you say is your, your favorite and least favorite part about pre-production? As a writer, primarily, I really do enjoy when I have a finished script uh, and I can share that with actors. As a director, I really enjoy casting. That's where it starts to just pop. Yeah. You've written something. And, oh man, you get to see this actor. Actors are just realism machines. They'll read a line that you wrote and yeah. you envision it in some way in your head, but then you hear it. Oh man. And that just gets me hyped. Yeah. That gets a quote from uh, Tarantino. He says, good actors make all the difference in the world. You can write a good script, but if you don't have good actors, it won't be a good film. That's very true. Very true. I mean, look at um, Godfather Part 3, oh, Sofia yeah. Coppola. Oh. Many people tout her as being the reason the film sucks. Although then you have one of the greatest actors of all time, Al Pacino, and people hate his performance in that movie too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's bad writing though. He was kind of, Al Pacino's acting style is definitely taken a nosedive since the 80s, I would say. I would say so too. Yeah. And some, some, yeah blips here and there but yeah yeah I, w I would say writing and casting are my yeah my two favorites i would say my favorite is probably storyboarding because okay. it's probably the thing i have the most experience in yeah. as being an animator post-production is my favorite phase actually and so yeah. this, to me kind of this is the most like post-production out of all the the aspects of pre-production totally because you are seeing that the the development visually of that animation i'm editing basically yeah already after the storyboard's done that's true yeah uh, that's great. We had so many good sessions storyboarding. Oh, it's fun because and, and it's problem solving. If you got a good crew, it's so much fun. When you're storyboarding, it's also just it's free imagination. You're just there, mm -hmm. and it's oh, how can I communicate this? That's fun. That's the fun of pre-production. Is it pretty much costs nothing? Yeah, to just sit there, spew out ideas, and come up with ideas. Like man, there are so many apps and everything like you were saying before that you can just sit there and draw. Uh, or on a straight up post-it note and just come up with different ways to communicate your story. That That's the fun part. We had a very backwards way, I guess, of working on it. With animations, you want to have the visuals written alongside the script. Mm -hmm. And we would just have the script written beforehand. Yeah. And it wouldn't always fit well into an animation. So we'd have to like retroactively come up with a concept that made it work. These were like explainer style. Exactly. Videos. And so, yeah, they were more about academically teaching something. Yeah. But not being an animation. But we, and that actually was a, as a fun creative box to have to work in. It's yeah. Like, okay. These are Dude, the words we got, man. Good stuff. We'll, I'll put a, we'll put a link in the description to one of our favorite pieces. Yeah. Gender and sexuality. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, to uh, outro here, how should Christ help a first-time filmmaker throughout this pre-production process? Honestly, prayer. I don't think a lot of film directors pray. That's fair, yeah. They'd probably be better off for it. That's going back to what we were saying before about gratitude. It all comes from his hand. Yeah. It already all belongs to him. And the project only comes to life because he wanted it to. Yeah. He could put the kibosh on it like that, you know? And so if you actually want something, you have to give it to him. Yeah. 
And that way it takes the ego out of it too and helps you look just towards him. Like, does this glorify him? Like we were saying this the whole time, obviously with yeah, your behavior on set, your behavior in interacting with different people that you're asking favors of. You're looking to Christ through this whole time, trying to glorify him. And so that brings your behavior to a level of excellence. I'm serving the king. I'm not yeah. serving obscure men. I'm being extra careful, uh, taking pictures ahead of time with the location so I can reassemble it back to exactly how it was that I am trying to make it as smooth as possible. And that's that's charity. That's hospitality. And that's what Christ has done for you. What comes to my mind is Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That little bit of God's pre-production that he predestined us ahead of time to do those good works, that maybe putting that stuff back and talking respectfully with that location owner, that's the good work that Christ has done for us. It's not even just making the movie. It's how the movie's done. It's the people you're taking care of at the same time that you are a steward and a servant of those around you. I think is is the heart set and mindset that you're going to want as a first-time filmmaker. For sure. So with that, you're well on your way to making a film. Uh, and right now, it's still all very conceptual and aimed at getting all parties on the same page come the day of your shoot. But we will get to that day on the next episode when we talk about production. And until then, let's get out there and work heartily for our good and gracious God, the Redeemer of men. Thank you for listening to God Deserves Better, a production of Pemmican Studios.